0: On September 11th, 2001, our American way of life was attacked. Everyone remembers where they were that day and how their lives changed from that moment on. The American Legion is committed to honoring the memories of those we lost on 9-11 and in the global war on terrorism that followed. As part of that commitment, the American Legion Tango Alpha Lima podcast presents a special series, 9-11-20-2020. 20 episodes in the 20 days leading up to the 20th anniversary of the attacks that changed the world. Each of the 20 guests delivers a unique first hand perspective on 9 11 and our nation's response. Here is one of those remarkable stories. All right, folks, we are back with another special edition of our 20 uh, for 20 here on 9 11 with celebrating the, well, not celebrating, but honoring the 20th anniversary of 9 11. And I know I've said a lot in the past, I'm super excited about the guest, but this is my favorite one, uh, largely because he's one of my best friends in the entire world. So everybody, this is Robert Douglas, and rather than go through his full bio, I'm just going to tell you about why Robert should hate me, but apparently does not. But (laughs) back in 1997, I had skipped a drill weekend. Uh, For those of you that were in the guard, you know, you skip a drill weekend, you got to make it up. You got to do split training or whatever. So I had gone down to the National Guard Armory and I was sitting there at the desk when Robert walked in and he had uh, freshly come off active duty where he was an air traffic controller and he was thinking about joining the unit. And he said, I don't know, man, Uh, I, this, you know, it's an infantry unit and I'm not infantry, but I'm worried what could happen if we got deployed. And I said the famous words, dude, we are never getting deployed like of all the units in the entire world. Charlie Company, 3rd Battalion of the 116th Infantry will be dead last. Like, you have my word on. It. And so Robert signed the paperwork. And what happened two weeks later, Robert? Yeah,
1: they uh, told us that uh, we were going to get mobilized to Bosnia. It,
0: it literally couldn't have been more than two weeks. Like yeah, my, man. In terms of, like, hot takes not making it the test of the time, that one didn't take long to not make <laughs> the test of time. And So Robert went from being a... Civilian air traffic controller living a comfortable life with his beautiful wife and his, what, six year old and three year old. Robert ended up spending nine months in a tent with me. So, (laughs) no,
1: we had a lot of good memories, though.
0: We did. No, no one has ever been uh, punished more for their sins, apparently, than Robert, (laughs) who uh, got stuck in a tent with me. So, Robert, great to see you, bud. It's always uh, fun to to talk to you. Your 9-11 story, I think, is one of the most poignant uh, for me, you know, having been in the Capitol building that day, uh, the, when I found out the role you had played in all this, I, I, it's, I, I, I thank God that you were sort of at the, at the helm. But tell us a little bit about your 9-11 story and where you were that day and what happened in your life.
1: Well, um, it started off as a beautiful day. Um, I mean, I, I remember driving into work and it was just a, a really gorgeous day. It started off just like, uh, any other, uh, shift, you know, I get into work, you know, um, we're working a morning push and, um, then a, a guy, uh, John store, I don't know if it was, uh, Richie Druga or John store, but one of them comes comes in and says, um, an airplane just hit one of the twin towers. And at the time we- I I should interrupt you real quick, but tell them where you were
0: working and what you were doing in case that's not clear to everybody.
1: Okay, I'm an air traffic controller. I was working at Cleveland Center. Uh, I I was an air air traffic controller and I was working at Cleveland Center. And uh, anyways, um, he comes in and he says, uh, some airplane hit one of the towers. And at the time we were, we were really busy and I thought, well, it's probably a a traffic plane or something. And then uh, we continue in our shift. And then later on, somebody says a second airplane hit, hit one of the other towers. So then we said, so then I was offered a break and uh, I went on break and I was, in the cafeteria, I was talking to John Crouch and Joyce Filipiak because uh, they we were we had just gotten to Cleveland Center. I was stationed at Washington Center in Leesburg for uh, for about eight, eight or nine years. And I had just transferred to Cleveland to be closer to my family. But um, so we were watching on television just like everybody else, and then we got a page, they said we need all available air traffic controllers to return back to uh, the control room floor. And when I got there, I went in and my, and the supervisor in charge was Richard Barnett. And he told me, I said, Richard, where do you need me? To, where, where do you need me? And he says, I need you to sit with uh, Stacy Parham at Indian Head. And basically what Indian Head is is that it's a, it's an arrival sector for Pittsburgh uh, for, for from, people departing from the East coast, like Philly or Baltimore, you know, going into Pittsburgh. And, uh, also it works traffic from southbound, uh, coming from Florida and all points South going into Pittsburgh. So we're working and and they had told us that uh, New York center had went to ATC zero, meaning that, um they weren't going to take any more airplanes so all so you had all these planes you know ho- that were supposed to be going into the new york center but they were all holding and then within a little bit we got a, a ground we got a an order that we had to land every airplane in the sky and if you go on uh, youtube and you look at uh and you google you know air traffic um uh, ground stop order. You could look and see how many airplanes were in the sky at the time. I think it was maybe like four thousand. And then uh, we had we. They told us that we had two hours to land every airplane in the sky. Um, so we're we're working. And then uh, United Flight ninety three. I remember my supervisor Richard Barnett. Uh, we we called it a dead scope. Where basically you can pull up any sector in the center, and uh, he pulled up United Flight ninety three, and he said, "Look at this." You know, I, I heard him talking about it, and he was like, "His the airplane was climbing and descending," and um, you know, I didn't think anything of it at the time because you know it was being worked in a completely different area of the center. So we're we're working and we're working, uh, you know, airplanes uh trying to get everybody landed and all that other stuff and then uh i got a call from the imperial sector from linda justice uh bill keaton and linda justice they were working the imperial sector and they told me that uh united flight 93 was in our airspace they had got a report that he was in our airspace and that he didn't have a transponder but uh he had a primary target and they said that the target was associated with the data block. And um, so I told Stacy, I said, Stacy, we're, uh, you know, I'm taking a handoff on United Flight 93 and um, I don't know what altitude he's at. So so we have all these airplanes that's, that's going into Pittsburgh. And then United Flight 93 gets in the, he's heading towards our, the line of planes that we have going into Pittsburgh. And I don't, we don't know what altitude he's at. So Stacy has to vector, you know, airplanes all out of his courseway because we didn't know which way he was going. I mean, Linda told me at the time that she thought that he was headed to Camp David or headed towards the Capitol. And he was on a trajectory that he was heading in that direction. So... Um, so then we get a report. So, you know, he's close to some of the other airplanes and we're asking some of the other airplanes if they can, if they can see him, um, if they, if they see an airplane. And then I think that we got a report that he was at maybe like 11,000 or something, 11 or 12,000, but I'm, I don't, I don't remember, but I, I think, and then, uh, Pittsburgh approach you know in the middle of of you know we got about 15 airplanes going into Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh said that um well we think that he's you know we, we got reports that he's you know in our area and they and they closed down and they bailed and I said man you guys can't bail I said because uh you know we got all these airplanes coming in and then instinctually, uh we just said okay we'll just reroute them to Palmer and Johnstown and then in the middle of all that, um one of the airplanes said that he saw a puff of smoke emanating from the countryside and that uh you know and then Stacy asked him, could he? Well, first of all, I gotta back up because then I said in the middle of all this, I said Stacy, I think that I said uh I lost a primary. We lost a primary target on United Flight 93. I don't see him anymore. I mean, the data block is in free flow, meaning that um, the primary target was gone. And then a little bit after that, we got a report from a pilot saying that there was a puff of smoke uh, from the emanating from the countryside. And Stacy asked him, taking his own safety into consideration, would he circle around and tell us what he saw? And he said that he saw a large. Uh, debris field of what looked to be a really large airplane and it, and it created a really big gorge and that he could see uh, fire from uh, on the treetops and a large de- large uh, debris field so then uh, so then we notified the the watch desk and they notified the uh, the military watched this and they notified, you know, everybody else that needed to be notified. Simultaneously, while all this is going on, uh, there was a bomb threat or, or something falling into the center. So they're evacuating. So we're, we're working all these planes and they're evacuating all of the controllers from the, from the center. So, you know, one minute all the phone, you know, one minute, uh, you know, you can hear a thousand voices. You can hear all kind of conversations, and you can hear the people talking and phones ringing, and, and just control chaos. And then I look up, and it's just me and Stacy. Uh, we're in. We're we're in there. We're the only ones. And uh, then, along with Horace Schultz, we had an order to land every airplane in the sky within two hours. Um, we were still taking airplanes from uh, Washington Center primarily um, I don't know maybe 20 15 15 or 20 and um, so we um, so we I look up and then and then you know it's just me Stacy and Horace Schultz. and then Horace says, I have an order that we have to go down to one control and I I look at Stacy and I said, uh, you know, this is a real bomb threat and this is gonna be it. Then uh, your kids deserve a mother. I said, uh, Desmond and Ross, you know, Denise is safe. And, uh, you know, if something happens, then, um, you know, Jack and Sam, they they need their mother. And she didn't want to go, but I said, Stacy, you have to go. I said, Stacy, you have to, you have to go. And she really didn't want to, but, um, she, she ended up leaving. And then we continue, I continued to land the rest of the airplanes at Palmer airport and Pittsburgh reopened. And, um, you know, for the next, you know, 50 minutes or so, um, we continued to clear out all of the, um, airplanes, you know, and when United flight 93 crashed, I mean, it, you know, I said, a. I said a quick silent prayer for them. And uh, you know, we, we just kept going because of mission. You know, you you have to keep, you know, you got other airplanes and you got other people that you have to get to safety. So, you know, you just keep you keep going. I mean, you don't you don't really think about it. You know, you think about your training and you think about um, you know, the mission. And then, you know, the, the other thing that came to my mind is that you Know the, the military uh, saying about I would guard everything when the limits of my post and only quit my post when properly relieved. And I did not feel that I didn't feel that uh, it was time for me to go, I felt that I had more work to do. So, anyways, um, so we get the air, we get the all the airplanes uh, landed, and then you know, I'm sitting there with Horse, you know, and, you know, you kind of reflecting on what had happened, you know, and then they said we have to go down to one, you know, one person in the area, and Horace was, you know, he was an old man at that point, you know, he's about 60 years old, and I don't, you know, and I, he might have had hearing aids, and, you know, maybe he didn't, but he, you know, he couldn't control any airplanes, and if something came up, you know, I didn't think that that uh, you know he was equipped to deal with it, um, even though he was a good guy and a good supervisor. But you know, as far as being like technically proficient as a controller, you know, I didn't, I didn't really know. So I just, I, I volunteered to stay behind, and you know, then you saw the the bomb sniffing dogs. You know, they brought the bomb sniffing dogs through, you know, and all that other stuff, and then about probably. An hour and a half later, uh, NORAD took over all the airspace in the United States. That's when that's when, you know, the the jets from uh, Pittsburgh Air National Guard they were patrolling our area. And uh, you know, so you know, you sat there and you uh, and uh, you know, we were reflecting. I was reflecting on what had happened. You know, and I was thinking about my family. And I was just, you know, praying that, you know, I'll I'll make it through this day, you know, safely. And then um, an airplane, you know, one of the military planes said that there was a plane over Elkins, West Virginia, that turned off his transponder. And that that uh, he asked, were we talking to it? And. Elkins was in, this, I, I don't ha, I'm not in control of Elkins, uh, that was in uh, Washington Center, but it was an area that I had just, when I transferred from Cleveland, it was an area that I had worked in previously. So I knew the guys that were over there working and I call over there and I said, uh, I said, uh, Elkins, this is uh, Morgantown. I said, are, are you talking to an airplane at flight level 240 over Elkins? And they said, uh, they said, no. And I said, um, I said, okay, I said, uh, there's an F-16. And he said that somebody just turned off their transponder and that they have orders to shoot down any airplane that's not, that's not uh, who turns their transponder off. So at that point, I said, you know, at that point I asked Bill Keaton, I said, man, I said, Bill, I I had to run down to the, to the watch desk real quick and I need, I need you to watch this area. And he said, okay. So I'll run down and I tell Rich Reed, I said, Rich, I'm gonna need some help because I think it's a developing situation here um, that an airplane just turned off its transponder. And I think um, this military plane is gonna shoot it out of the sky. Then, you know, Rich Reed, he, he, uh, he uh, you know it, was, it kind of pissed me off. I mean, at the same time, I was you know it upset me a little bit because Stacy, who had worked United Flight 93 when they crashed, and everything that she had went through that day, she was the first one to come back. Her and her and Brad Kennedy, but she, Stacy was the first person to. Uh, I said, man, out of all the people that we had in the area, I mean, and everything that she had went through this morning, that she was the first one to come back. So she came back and then I got her and Brad Kennedy up to speed about what was going on. And then we quickly established uh, a team of controller to controller with Washington Center, uh, watch desk to watch desk with Rich Reed talking to Kerry Johnson at, uh, uh, Rich Reed was our uh, person running the desk on 9-11. And then uh, he was talking to Kerry Johnson at Washington Center, and then they were coordinating military watch desk to military watch desk. No. And then the F-16 says, um, I need to know. Um, he says, I have radar contact on this airplane and I'm moving in for the attack. I need it, he says, before I fire, I'm gonna I'm gonna call and ask you one last time if you're talking to him. So then uh, I call over to Washington Center, and uh, I think it's Ron Myers. I don't know if it's Ron Myers or Ron Matika who was working. And then I said, uh, Ron, are you guys talking to somebody at flight level 240 at Elkins? And he says, no, Doug, I mean, we're not. And I said, well, could you check on the, you know, on the Marlinton extended frequency, and could you check with uh, Indianapolis Center to see if maybe he's sitting, you know, if he's sitting on the frequency, because uh, somebody's about to get shot down over Elkins. And I said, I think it's a friendly because he's just orbiting. He's not flying and he's not flying towards something, but he's just orbiting. And then um, I call, you know, um, Rich Reed is now standing outside of the area and he's got Kerry Johnson on the phone and he's got the military watch desk. And then the pilot says, All right, uh, you know, he says, Center. I need to know, is 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 are you talk, is anybody talking to this plane? Do you know who it is? So then we call, you know, I asked Rich Reed. I said, Rich, you know, is, is Carrie sure that um, we're not talking to anybody? He says, as far as I know, um, they're not talking to anybody. And then the military watch desk said that we don't have anybody over Elkins. And then Meyer says, and then Meyer says, um doug I'm, we're not we're not working anybody at flight level 240. so then we tell the pilot sir um we're not we're not aware of anybody that we're talking to at over elkins and then as soon as we tell them that uh washington center uh pops up on the line and they say man it's a it's a friendly it's, a, it's an AWACS plane you know, don't shoot him down, don't shoot him down. So we didn't even, we didn't even answer him because we had already give the, we had already given the the the, sh- the shoot order. And uh, then we told him, do not shoot, do not shoot, it's a friendly, you know, do not shoot, it's a friendly. And then, um, and then he, I, 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 I mean,
0: Yeah. Just because we're running out of time here, and I want to get make sure I get to Ashley. But obviously, I mean, it had to have come ridiculously close to
1: shooting that plane down. Stevie, the guy said, the, the pilot said, could you have imagined with all of the chaotic events that happened today, if, if what it would have done to the national psyche if we would have shot down one of our own in the midst of all this confusion?
0: Crazy. Ashley, you, I don't know if you know you're on mute here, but you are up. All
1: right. Just <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh I have goosebumps. I am just in awe at your uh, just the commitment. I, I can't even how many how many planes did you help land? Well, really get... Gonna-
1: Uh, It wasn't me. I mean, air air traffic control is like being a soldier. Everything is a team. I mean, as a team, as a team, I mean, there were 4,000 airplanes uh, that had to be landed. And, uh, you know, us and my fellow controllers from all, from everywhere, we all, you know, did what we had to do. And I I don't know, I don't know if it was, you know, a million or 800,000 people, but it had to be one of the largest evacuations of, you know, of people ever, so it, it was tremendous. If you if you go on uh, YouTube and you Google nine eleven, uh, you know, uh, ground stop order, and you just look at what happened over two hours, and this and this fast forward, I mean, you will be truly amazed at what happened.
2: So, Robert, I wanted to ask you about your relationship with Stacy. Do you, are you still close with Stacy?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I you know I think about Stacy and Todd all the time, and I, I you know I pray for them, and you know I, I check on them periodically. You know, uh, I think you know I have a, a special bond with Stacy and a kindred, uh, is a kindred spirit, that I don't talk to her all that time, but I, I think about her, and I think that she she thinks about me, you know, and I pray for them all the time. But um, you know, they're two of my favorite people, you know, and I love them.
2: Absolutely.
1: She was, she was, you know, she was truly a, you know, and it's funny that, um, you know, in air traffic control, you know, in the the military, you know, if you go through a battle or you go through something tremendous, you know, you get medals and bronze stars and, you know, you get all this other stuff, you know, as an air traffic controller, you get a pat on the head and told that, Hey man, that was, you just did your job. (laughs) So, you know, she, she went above and beyond that day. And, uh, you know, she de- you know she deserves some type of award or some type of recognition for you know everything that she did, and not just her, but but all the controllers. I mean, there was you know there's stories like this. I'm not the only one with a story like this. I'm I'm sure that people in Boston and New York who who worked those other planes that crashed into the towers and all the other stuff. I'm sure that uh, you know they have their own stories. Absolutely, mm,
2: it's so powerful. All right.
0: All right, Jeff, you are up.
2: I I was stuck with the the enduring image of an air traffic control setting that you see in movies, and it's always stressful. It seems like at least their portrayal of it. So I'm wondering, a, if that if that's accurate, and then b, how much more intense was this and and in, in that level of intensity, how did you guys perform so well?
1: Uh, You know, you're trained to deal with the stress and uh, trained to deal with the intensity. I mean, most of the time, air traffic control is 80% routine and 20% extemporaneous. You know, 80%, you know, you got the same routes, the same planes flying at the same time. And, you know, they hit at different times, but you're, you, you know, you train and you learn how to do it. Uh, what well, made September 11th unique is that you went from 80% routine and 20% extemporaneous to being a hundred percent extemporaneous. And that just, uh, that was just something that, you know, you train for and, you know, you just hope that your training was good enough that you could, uh, you know, that you could survive. And we did. I mean, as, you know, as, as controllers, I mean, it was, it was, control chaos basically.
2: That's uh, yeah I mean I don't really have you covered most you covered the, the topic in the your story so well. I don't have a. I don't have a lot of uh, questions. I I, I I am curious about being being there like were you getting a lot of information other than about flights? were you, were you getting like the stuff that we were seeing on the news? Did you?
1: Um, You know, when I took a break, you know, for the brief break that I had, you know, we were glued to the TV sets like everybody else. But then, you know, you you go back to work and then you're in that bubble. I mean, and when you're in the bubble, you know, the the only thing that you're concerned about is the mission. So I, I really wasn't aware of, you know, all the behind the scenes events and all that other stuff. We were just, you know, trying to accomplish the mission um, that we had to do. Go ahead. All right. All right. All I'm right. going to end on a high
0: note here. And uh we're going to talk a little bit about Robert Douglas and his history. So when we were, uh, when we were living together under a bridge in Bosnia, you had, uh, two sons, Desmond and Ross, yeah. and you were a diehard, diehard Cleveland Browns fan and a diehard Ohio state fan. And flash forward 15 years, and you're no longer an Ohio State fan. Now you're a Michigan fan because your son went to play football at Michigan. And then your son transfers to Rutgers, which is why you're wearing the Rutgers hat. And then your son gets a tryout for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So you sell all your, basically, all your Brown (laughs) stuff and you buy all your Pittsburgh stuff. (laughs) so uh what's i'm asking this tongue-in-cheek because i know very well the answer but where is ross now where is ross today and who is he spending it with
1: well man ross is a new england patriot so you know you're gonna see me you know i I mean i used to have a joke you know you're my buddy man and i love you but you know guys from boston if they don't if they don't win a championship every year man they think they think they're cursed man i'm from cleveland it took you know, 50, you know, the uh the drive, you know, all, all the bad stuff that happened in Cleveland, man, that's my life. I mean, you remember when I was in Bosnia and the Indians uh lost yep, to the yep. Marlins, I'm I'm screaming at Taser Hungry for uh Jose Mesa to give the, you know, don't throw any breaking balls, throw the fastball, you know, and then they lose. But anyways, uh, you know, I'm a New England Patriot fan, so you know, I used to make jokes and say, man, you know, I don't, you know, I don't like the Celtics. I don't like the Patriots. You know, I don't, I don't like the Red Sox. I don't even like Boston clam chowder, you know, but now, (laughs) you know, but now you're going to see me, you a a proud Papa with my New England gear on. Well, I can't
0: wait. I can't wait for us to go to the Colts Patriots game here and, uh, (laughs) <laughs> Doug, always great yeah. seeing you. I love you, buddy. I miss you. I love you, you
1: man. I, lo- I love you, Mark, man. It's, you know, thanks for having me. I, thanks for giving me an opportunity to tell my story.
0: Absolutely. It's a, it's a story that needs to be told. And, and we, you know, we've got people from all over 9-11 and I think it's, a, you know, the, the planes weren't, you know, flying themselves. There were people that were handling on the ground. There were people up in the air. So Doug, I, I, I appreciate you, bud.
1: All right. Love you, buddy. Hey, take care of yourself.
0: All right. Everybody else, don't forget to subscribe to the Tango Alpha Lima podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. And while you're there, don't forget to rate us pervertably with five stars and leave us a review. You can send us feedback and love notes at Legion.org. Jeff, Ashley, I'll see you tomorrow. Doug, I will see you uh, at the Colts-Patriots game. And then again, when we when we go to New England for the Super Bowl victory parade. Everyone else, we'll see you tomorrow. Bye. Bye. Take care,